Well, it is good to be out, and we join with Dave and welcome everybody out, and invite you to get your Bibles out. Please, follow along as we open the Word of the Lord, and if you have any questions of uh, what we have to say, what we're studying, well, we'll be happy to address those questions. Our goal is to try to teach what the Bible teaches, and as Josh mentioned in his prayer, we want to be strictly according to the Word of God. That's our, that's our aim. That's our goal, is to teach the Word of the Lord, and hopefully we'll all be benefited and helped as we open the scriptures, and always appreciate, always take advantage of the opportunities to assemble together. You never know what can happen in life, and things can turn around ooh, just like that, and we'll be able to be out to the assembly, and so take advantage of every opportunity to be with the people of God in the worship service. We begin our study here in the book of Judges chapter 2. In Judges chapter 2, beginning here in number 6, it says, And when Joshua had led the, uh, let the people go, the children of Israel went uh, every man unto his inheritance to the, possess the land. And the people served Jehovah all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of, the, of Jehovah that uh, he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Jehovah, died being a hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath Eris, in the mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Gaash. And there also, and also, all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, who knew not Jehovah, or knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. That verse 10 talks about another generation came along. That's going to be our focus, is to talk about how generations Continue to come. And here the text talks about another generation that didn't know Jehovah. And we want to study and develop our lesson on a very important concept as we talk about each generation following God. All right, each generation must be taught. When you talk about God and God's children, how many grandchildren does God have? Have any? Only sons and daughters. He doesn't have grandchildren. So each generation must be adopted in the family of God by doing that which is right, by serving the Lord and following Him. And each generation must be taught, and the torch needs to be passed on from generation to generation in the teaching of the Scriptures. And there are actually several verses that we want to kind of string together and show this concept of passing on to the next generation biblical truths and to teach each generation that comes along. In uh, Psalm 48, in Psalm 48, notice there beginning in number 11, it says, Let Mount Zion rejoice, let the daughters of Judah be glad because of thy judgments. Walk about Zion and go round about her, tell the towers thereof. Now notice number 13, mark ye well her bulwarks. Some translations will say ramparts. Consider her places that you may uh, tell it to the generations following. For this, uh, for this God is our God forever and ever, and He will be our guide even unto death. Now, the idea of bulwarks or ramparts is fortifications around the city of Zion. And spiritually, we have strong foundations, and each generation need to be taught about these strong foundations that the church is built upon, that we follow and that we seek to do in service to the Lord. And so, we want to uh, notice those strong bulwarks as we will talk about here momentarily. 
And then notice over in Psalm 71, in Psalm 71, the psalmist says, O God, you have taught me from my youth to this day, have I declared your wondrous works. Now also, when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not until I have showed your strength unto this generation and your power to everyone that is to come. And so the psalmist being old, his desire was to pass this information to the generation that was below him. And that should be the desire of everybody that is a faithful Christian, that the generations below them will know about God and the ways of God and stand strong, uh, grounded and settled in the truth, and to know the ways of Jehovah God. And then let's notice in Psalm 78, it says, Give ear, O my people, to my law, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable, and I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength, and the wondrous works that He has done. For He established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers that they should uh, make them known to their children. Uh, that generation to come might know them, even the children who should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they may set uh, with uh, set their hopes, a uh, hope in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. And my and may not uh, might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. And again, talking about the concept that here's a generation they want to pass on the concepts and the truths that God and about God and God's ways and God's uh, uh, marvelous praises to pass it on to the next generation. It is an important concept. Now let's go to the New Testament and we will see this. In the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, notice there in number 5. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. Paul says, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned, that is the sincere, without pretense, the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice, I am persuaded that is in thee also. So here we have three generations. You've got Lois, and she taught her daughter Eunice. And Eunice, she taught her uh, son Timothy. You see, the torch was passed on from generation to generation of unfeigned faith. That is, sincere, genuine faith and dedication. Paul also talks about in chapter 3 and verse 15, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Where it says, and that from a child, literally, it is the word translated in Luke chapter 2, babe. And that from a babe, yeah, even babies, they can kind of gather things. And Timothy was fortunate that from a babe, he had known the Holy Scriptures. And who taught him? Well, it wasn't his father, because his father was a Greek. But, and so from probably his grandmother, possibly still be living, but then from his mother, he learned from the generations that were above him, the torch was passed on of uh, the teachings of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul tells Timothy, And the things which thou hast uh, heard among me, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, faithful human beings, male and female. You pass them on. 
that they may be able to teach others also. And so Timothy, being taught by his mother and then taught the gospel by Paul, Timothy was to be out to pass on, and then those that are taught, then they pass it on to the next generation, to others, the same message. And this is such an important concept. It is the desire that we see in the Scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament, that as you serve God, you want others to know, those that come after you, especially of your own heritage, that they would know the ways of the Lord and know the teachings of God. In the book of Colossians chapter 1, in Colossians chapter 1, notice down there in number 23. In Colossians chapter 1, there in verse 23, Paul says, If you continue in the faith grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard, which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. So what did Paul talk about here? He wanted the Colossian brethren to be grounded and settled in truth, in that which is right, that which is in strict accordance with God's Word and God's teaching, the concept of God and the teachings of God, to be rooted and grounded. You talk about the idea of being rooted as something that's very firm and steadfast. When the grandkids... uh, Oh, we're here this past week. We were out in the front yard, got a hammock up between the two trees, and I was sitting on the ground there, and there was some roots. And I tell you, they, they were hard. And they, they, were, they were very steadfast into the ground, holding the big trees up there in the front yard. And that's the concept, that we need to be rooted into God's Word, into the truth of God, and into God that has revealed these things in the Bible, is the concept that is being taught in these texts. And to pass that on to the next generation of the things that, uh, the, of the ways of God and the teachings of God. Every generation has to be taught. And how far can we be from apostasy? Just one generation. One generation that doesn't know the Lord. Next thing you know, total apostasy. Totally away from the Lord if the torch is not passed on to faithful human beings, reliable, dedicated human beings to take the banner of truth and righteousness and the bulwarks of faith and to stand stand steadfast in the Word of God. Each generation has to be taught. Now, let's talk about just some basic things, really very fundamental concepts that each generation needs to be taught, that we need to pass on to our children, and the influence that we have with our grandchildren and everybody else that we come in contact contact with is to teach some very basic concepts that needs to be passed on to every generation. The idea of God, the Godhead, the true and living God, the God of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's foundational, that's fundamental. That's where all the story begins, because before that, only God existed. He always existed. Psalm 90, in verse 10, talks about that. Notice there in Psalm 90, and in the second verse. Psalm 90 there, and in verse number 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. God has always existed. When you talk about the term Jehovah, it means the existent one. We were talking about this in class the other night when we were talking about the idea of Jehovah in the VBS. 
Jehovah means the existent one. If you go to a graveyard, you'll see these tombstones, and they'll have a date. People were born, and they'll have a date when people die. The beginning and the end of this person. When you talk about God, God had no beginning because he always existed. That's why he told Moses in Exodus chapter 3, I am. What am I going to tell the Israelites who has sent me? Yeah, you tell them, I am that I am has sent you. I am present tense, not that I was, not that I will be future tense. I am. God has always existed and will always exist. It is the only reasonable explanation of the world that we live in. That not uh, innate uh, matter is eternal and by some unknown force, by a blind chance of dumb luck, everything whoop, just happened to be. That does not make any sense. But the concept of God, who always has existed, an intelligent creator, made the world and all things therein. That's the only reasonable explanation of the world that we live in. The evidence is overwhelming for that. And so we need to pass that on to our children. And not only the concept of God and the three persons of the Godhead, but that this creator, that we need to love him with all our heart. In the book of Matthew chapter 22, when Jesus was asked, What's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus' answer was, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. So we need to pass on to our children that God is, that He is eternal, that He's everlasting, He's the Creator, He's the one that made the world. We're to love Him with all our heart. And we better understand both sides of the nature of God. In the book of Romans, chapter 11, verse 22. In Romans, chapter 11, number 22. Paul says, Behold, behold therefore the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise uh, thou also shall be cut off. So we need to understand God, that he's eternal, understand the love, the goodness, the greatness of God, the compassion of God, but also the wrath, the anger, the justice of God. Understand both sides of the nature of the true Godhead. And to pass that on to our children. Pass that on to the next generation. It was the desire, as we read in these passages, to pass this on to each generation. The divine truth that God is, that he is the self-existent one, and that we should love him with all our heart. We need to pass on the importance of the inspiration of the Scriptures, that the Bible, this book that I have here in paper, and this book that I have in cellular electronic format, it is the Word of God. It's a very special book. It's a very unique book. It is the inspired Word of God. In the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17, Paul says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The Word of God is inspired, literally meaning that if God breathed. Isn't that right? Are we right? Yeah. Death. He'd been talking with the kids about that. Inspired means God breathed. That is, God breathed and inspired these writers, guided these writers to write the Scriptures. And so we're not just re- merely reading the opinions of Paul or Matthew or Luke. We are reading the inspiration. We're reading the mind of God revealed in a historical setting. And it is there to guide us. It is a complete guide. 
as the, ta- as the passage says, that we may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto some good works. No, unto a lot of good works. No, unto almost all good works. No, that we may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It is complete. Now, when you know that, that's a bulwark that's not going to... That's, that's, a, that's a rampart. That, that's a fortification that's not going to be moved. And it's going to settle all kinds of problems. Well, you understand the Bible's complete. We're not going to be... When somebody comes along and says, Hey, you know, we've got the Book of Mormon. It's, a, it's another... Re-. No, it's not another revelation. It was all given in the first century. Oh, yeah, well, you know, we, we got the rights of Muhammad. You know, he, he's the great prophet of God. No, it's not. 600 years too late. It was all given in the first century. Ellen G. White, you know, Ellen G. White, she was a prophet of God, and she, blah, 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 and, and no, Ellen G. White was not a prophet of God. And her writings are not the inspired scriptures. The scriptures were all given in the first century. That was the promise, and it was written and revealed. And when you get that settled, that's a, that, that's a, that's a fortress. That's that, when people start banging in that, they're just banging their head into a, a brick wall. It's sound. It's solid. It's there. We pass it on to our kids. That the Bible has all the answers that we need to know. It doesn't have all the answers we might want to know. But all the answers that we need to know is found right here in this book. And we pass that on to our children. We pass that on to the next generation. That we don't look for the, uh, uh, the, uh, the ideals of men. We don't turn to the books of, written by so-called uh, later day, latter day revelation. No, the Bible is completely revealed. Uh, completely revealed by inspiration and has all that we need to know. Not necessarily all that we might want to know, but all that we need to know to get, to get us from earth uh, to heaven. And so inspiration is very important. A very fundamental thing to impress upon our kids that the Bible is a special book because it is the book of God. It's the only book that emanates from God that we need to be listening to. And it is the ultimate standard because it is the expression of God who has all authority, who is the creator of the world. And along that line, also to impress upon the next generation that we need to understand, we need Bible authority. In the book of Colossians chapter 1, in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 17, Paul says, whatsoever you do in word or deed. Word or deed, well that... Takes about everything in that we do, isn't it? Word, deed. Yep, takes it all in. He says, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name that is by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks unto God, God and the Father by Him. We need authority for all that we do. Everything that we do, we need Bible authority. And we need to understand, well, how do we establish Bible authority? How does the Bible teach us? And Acts chapter 15 is the great chapter that explains all that we need to know about Bible authority. That God teaches us by, uh, by direct revelation, commands, or statements. God teaches us by approved examples. And God teaches us and, and commands us by necessary inferences. That's how Bible authority is established. And once you show that something is lawful, then an expedient that is something that aids to expedite the carrying out of that which is lawful is also taught in Acts chapter 15. And it also deals with the, the, the concept of silence, the silence of God, because the silence of God is prohibitive. Sometimes people get the idea, well, now if God didn't give a specific thou shalt not, then well, we can do it. No, it's not so. Acts 15 shows that also. The silence of God is prohibitive in its nature. God said, this is what we're to do, and that's all we can do, what the Lord says. And if we're going to have Bible authority, we're going to be able to give the book, the chapter, and the verse. 
And why do we do that? Well, because we're respecting God, the Creator of all, who give us His Word, inspired His Word, and shows us how we establish what His will is, and that we seek and we find that will, and that's where we stand. We stand upon the will of God. Why? Well, because we're respecting the God that gave us all these things. And that's an important concept that we need to pass on to each generation. Sometimes people think, ah, well, that's not important. No, it is important. It's absolutely important. If we're gonna, if we're gonna know what the Bible teaches, we better be, we better understand how we establish Bible authority. There's something else that we need to pass on to each generation. That is that salvation is in Christ Jesus. And what's involved in that salvation because Jesus died on the cross. In the book of Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, and Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, <clears throat> Uh, Peter says, neither is there salvation in the other. For there is none other name uh, under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is only in the name. And when you talk about the name, the authority, the character, the persons of Christ, of Christ Jesus. Only in Christ Jesus can we be saved. There's not a Savior anywhere else. There's not some organization. There's not some man. There's not some group of men. There's nothing that man has to offer that's going to bring salvation. Salvation is only in Christ Jesus because He's the one that died on the cross. And we have to understand that He died on the cross, that He was buried, that He was resurrected. And as we studied uh, this past Wednesday night, He ascended on high after His resurrection, after showing Himself with, uh, with many infallible proofs for 40 days. He's reigning at the right hand of God. He is the Savior. Jesus says in John 14 and verse 6, He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. You're not going to get to heaven some other way. It's not going to be through Mohammed. It's not going to be through the Pope. It's not going to be through uh, Ellen G. White, Joseph Smith, or some organization of men. It's not going to happen. Salvation is in Christ, in Jesus. And we pass that on to the next... Each generation. We pass that on to our children. We pass that on when we have opportunities with our grandchildren to teach them these basic concepts. These are fundamental concepts that we need to pass on. They are bulwarks. They are rampants of faith. It's what gives us stability in this world of topsy-turvy, nonsensical ideals that are constantly being promoted over and over again in the world that we live in. People are on shaky ground. They don't know what to believe. They hear this. They hear that. It, it's one It's one doctrine this year. Two years from now, it's a different doctrine. It's like, well, eggs are wonderful. Next thing you know, eggs are the most horrible thing that ever happened. Then again, well, now eggs are really good again. I mean, you never know. I mean, it just sort of vacillates back and forth when you look at the uh, the, the theories of men, the thinking of men. But when you look into the Word of God, it's sure and steadfast. It's a bulwark. It gives us fortification of where we need to stand in following God that's going to get us from this planet and all its woes and problems going to get us to the world to come into Mount Zion, heavenly Zion, get us to a home in heaven. Let me look at a, a few more things that we need to pass on to each generation. The whole idea of the New Testament church. In Matthew chapter 16, in Matthew chapter 16, look there in number 18. <clears throat> Jesus says, I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. 
You see, the church was built upon the solid foundation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the confession that Peter made, verse 17. It is the solid rock foundation, the deity, the divinity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that the church is built upon. The singularity says, upon this rock I'll build my church. It started, as you put all the passages together there in the book of Acts chapter 2, after the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We need to understand about the New Testament church, that is the church that Jesus bought. What the church is. What is the church? Did you guys study that this morning? Miss Kathy's class? Church, what does it mean? Remember? The called, the called out, the called out ones. That's what the church is. People that are called out of darkness into His marvelous light. It is the church that Jesus built and that we are called out of darkness. We need to know things about the New Testament church, about the organization of the church that's described in the New Testament. Things about uh, the New Testament church. So when it began on the first Pentecost, uh, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, described in Acts chapter 2, who the builder is, etc. Uh, when you talk about the New Testament church and what it is and what's involved in that, that it is the body, the bride of Christ, and the various figures that are used. And so we try to pass on this information to the next generation. Important fundamental concepts that are so important, so important for us to understand, so important for unity. Then in the book of John chapter 4, we need to impress upon the next generation about true worship. In the book of John chapter 4, 23 and 24. In John chapter 4, 23 and 24, uh, Jesus says, But the hour cometh, and now he is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must. Did you see that word must? That means we are obligated. It's something that is necessary. We must worship Him in spirit and in truth. It did not say to worship Him in truth. It did not say to worship Him in spirit. It says to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Both are essential. Both are necessary. What's it mean to worship in truth? That is according to His will. Sanctify Him through that truth. Thy word is truth. John 17, verse 17. To worship in spirit. That is with the right attitude. When you talk about the five acts of worship... Sometimes people criticize that. They make fun of that. Well, where in the Bible do you read about five acts? Well, acts is just something that you do. And where do we read about the five somethings we do? Well, just open the New Testament and you'll read the five somethings. In fact, you could read in Acts chapter 4 and verse 42, it lists four somethings. Then you look on down in the text, verse 46, it lists the other something, that is praising God. So there you have the five acts, somethings that we do. That is, on the first day of the week, we have the Lord's Supper. We have giving. That is identified to be done on the first day of the week. We have preaching. We have uh, preaching or teaching of the Word. We have prayers. And we have singing. That's it. That's all that you find in worshiping in truth. And in every one of those, it describes how it's to be done, the attitudes that are to be. It's not just something empty ritual that we just have learned and then we just sort of go through the motions. No. Our hearts to be involved in what's going on in the worship, true worship. We must. We were watching Billy Graham many years ago. And he was talking about John chapter 3. You must be born again. You must be born again. Emphasizing. And rightly so. You must. You've got to be born again. If you're not born again, you're, you're not going to be saved. You're not going to get to heaven. That's a, a, absolutely right because it uses the word must. 
But the funny thing is, it's the same word used in John chapter 4, but you don't hear any talk about that. Well, just worship any way you want to, and we'll all just agree to disagree and just worship any, any way. It's not true. Just as we must be born again, well, we must worship God, God in spirit and in truth. That's what it tells us. And both are necessary. And the Bible clearly defines that. It's not based upon my wisdom, I think so, your opinion, or my opinion, or somebody else's opinion, or a group of men's opinion. It is revealed in the inspired Word of God of what it means. And we pass that on to our children. That we worship as God has directed. And to teach the ways about worshiping God in truth. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Paul says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. Verse 12, teaching us, teaching us what? God's grace teaches us what? That denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. There are things that we've got to shun. There are things that we need to be doing in a positive way, living godly, righteously, and justly in this world. There are things that are just bad. There are things that are wrong, and we have to teach each generation that God has, is the one that sets the moral standard of what it means to live godly and to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. Classic example. It just kind of, kind of shocked me. was sort of unaware that the problem was, was uh, being talked about in Ecuador, but they just passed the law that now gays can get married also are confused about the matter. God speaks very plainly about the matter that same-sex marriage is not biblical marriage. It may be marriage in the modern-day sense that various countries continue to legalize it, but it doesn't make it right. God has spoken very clearly upon that. Immorality is just flat-out wrong. Mind-altering intoxicants and drugs, the Probably the most common drug is alcohol, and then you got marijuana, and there are states that are legalizing for the recreational use. Doesn't make any difference if, if, if it's legal. The question is, is it right in the sight of God? God's pretty plain about that. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1. The wine is a mocker, and strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Yeah. Vile language, cursing, uh, cuss words, bad language. Yeah, it's bad. It needs to be getting rid of. And so God tells us how we ought to live and the things that we ought to avoid. And we don't have to sit around and scratch our head and, and you know, test the wind and say, well, I wonder what people are believing today. God, God's revealed all that. It's right here in the, in the standard book. It's right, right here in the manual of how we ought to live godly lives. How we ought to avoid the things that are immoral and ungodly. It's all revealed in the inspired Word of God. We have definitive answers. They are bulwarks. They are ramparts. They are, they are strong defenses uh, of what God uh, desires and expects of His people found right here in the Word of God. We look at something else. Home and family. Another very basic biblical concept to pass on to each generation. In the book of Matthew chapter 19, in verse 3, it says, The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every call? They, they didn't ask, do men put away their wives for every cause? The answer then was yes. The answer today is yes. The question was, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for every cause? Now, when you look at the word, it is lawful, they're not saying lawful in the, 
than the law of the land, because it is lawful in the laws of the land. But when you look at the biblical definition, like from Strong's Dictionary, it's the idea, is it right? If you say, if you ask the question, well, is it lawful to buy a lottery ticket? Well, yeah. Yeah, it was passed several years ago here in Kentucky. It's, it's legal. It's lawful. But if you ask the question, well, is it right? Now you're thinking in, in terms, in, in, sight, in the sight of God, is, is it right to buy lawyer tickets? And you, the discussion is, well, no. And that, that's kind of the discussion here. Is it right? That is, in, in God's sight, is it right? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain. Or those two will be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, God has yoked together, let not man put asunder. Jesus goes all the way back, way back there, into the book of Genesis, chapter 1 and 2. He says, no, this is what God originally designed. This is what he expects for us today. Is one man and one woman for life. We need to impress upon, press upon the next generation. That's what God intends. I, I know sometimes, and, and Jesus talks about that, there is a legitimate cause there in verse 9. But the emphasis that Jesus places is this, this is what we need to impress upon our young people. That is not just something you just hop into, and if you decide you don't want it, boom, hop out of it. Like, I think I'll buy me a, a pickup truck. And you buy a pickup truck, well, that's not very comfortable. I think I'll get rid of that and get me a car. Or buy me a car, and well, it's not a commodious to my work, so I'll get me a pickup truck. No, it's not, not, that, not, not that way. When you decide to get married, it's a commitment. It's a commitment for life. That, that, that's what the Bible describes here. And Jesus uses various figures to show that it is a commitment for life. To be committed to the home and family and to fulfill the roles in the family unit. And the Bible, being the textbook, being the manual for marriage, describes how marriages and responsibilities and the privileges, all that's described here in the inspired instruction manual who developed and who created marriage, and that's God. And we need to pass that upon to the next generation. The young people need to know about the ways of God. They need to know these very ba- uh, very basic Bible concepts. And then, there's one other, and we'll talk about that when we extend the invitation, we need, must teach people about God's plan of salvation. We'll look at that here at the end of the lesson. We've got to pass that on to the next generation. What, what must I do to be saved? And you might think, well, is this just sort of, some sort of just arbitrary list? Well, actually, No. These were basic things that I thought about. But you know, there in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, you know there in Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about the seven ones. The seven ones that, you know, let's just read that there in Ephesians chapter 4. There's one body, one spirit, even your calling, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who's, who is above all and through all and in you all. You know, you look at those seven ones, those are, those are like comprehensive ones. That is the platform for unity. It's not multiple choice. When you look at these seven ones, you say, well, y'all take numbers one, two, four, six, and seven. No, not like that. If we're going to be united with God and united one with another, we're going to be united upon all seven of these platform ones here. You you talk about the one body, that's the one church. Didn't we talk about that, the New Testament church? Yep, sure did. 
And we talk about the one spirit. Didn't we talk about that? How the God inspired the word of God. That, that was a major work of the Holy Spirit. And the scheme of redemption was the inspiration of the scriptures. We talked about that. And the Holy Spirit being part of the eternal Godhead. He talks about one hope of your calling. Yeah. That's involved in the plan of salvation. That Jesus is going to save us. He's going to bring this uh, home in heaven. The one Lord. Yeah, Jesus, the only Savior. The Redeemer, the one that died on the cross, that was buried and resurrected. Yeah, that's all, all involved. You have to believe all those concepts about Jesus. It's not like this one uh, sectarian preacher. He said, well, you know, all you got to do is believe. If, if God just sent you John 3.16 on a postcard, that would be plenty. You, you, you'd know everything you need to know to be saved. How, how could that be? That's not so. John 3.16 doesn't talk about Jesus dying on the cross. It doesn't talk about Jesus being buried. And it certainly doesn't talk about Jesus being raised from the dead, and it doesn't talk about Jesus ascending on high. None of that's included in John 3.16. Yeah, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, but it doesn't explain all that. But we have to understand those things in order to be saved. John 3.16 is not sufficient. It's a wonderful verse. It's a magnificent verse. But it is not sufficient to bring about salvation. We have to know about all these concepts about Jesus being born of the Virgin Mary, etc. All that's encompassing in the one Lord. The one faith, yep, New Testament, tells us how to live, tells us how to live godly. The Bible, the standard word of God, how to live godly, how to avoid wickedness, how the home should be, the family ought to be. That's all included in the one faith. And then when he talks about the one God and Father of all, that is the one God that we are to worship in spirit and in truth. You see, these are all very basic concepts that Paul says is involved in the platform for unity of being united with God and one another. These are Bible basic concepts, fundamentals that we need to pass on to the next generation and every generation that comes along. So every generation needs to learn. But the danger of one untaught generation. Let's go back to our passage back there. In the book of Judges, chapter 2, let's notice there once again, verse 10, and then read on. It talks about Joshua and all the generation that saw those works that happened when they, uh, you know, cast out uh, the Canaanites and all the various things uh, passing through, uh, you know, across the Jordan on dry land, all that. And how all the older ones died out. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which He had done for Israel. Look at verse 11. Here's what happens when you have an untaught generation. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam or Baals. Balaam is the plural form or Baals. A false god, a false deity, the false ways. And they forsook Jehovah God of their fathers who brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods, the gods of, uh, of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. That's the danger of an untaught generation. Next thing you know, we're swayed by denominational influences, denominational friends, denominational people, denominational doctrine and dogma that's taught on the internet, on television, in books influencing with various wrong concepts different from the Word of God. 
If we are not grounded and settled in the truth, in divine, in the divine truth revealed by God Almighty in His Word, we can be very easily, slowly, but surely led into the wrong path. That's what happened to that generation after Joshua and the older folks passed away. They didn't know the Lord. It can happen. It can happen to the congregation here. Here we are, trying to stand on biblical concept, trying to be very strict to the Word of God. If we don't pass on this information to the next generation, the older generation soon passes away. I mean, life zips right along for all of us. And if the younger generation doesn't know, next thing you know, crazy ideals can be brought in and folks led astray, uh, led astray from divine truth, led astray from the Word of the Lord. Yeah, each generation has to be taught. The torch of truth has to be passed on to the next generation. And we have that responsibility as parents. And then as grandparents to try to influence and to teach the generation that follows the ways of truth and righteousness. Well, I want to close with this verse. My hope for all God's people everywhere in every generation is found here in Psalm 24. This is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. That's what I want for the older generation, the middle generation, and the younger generation coming on. That we need to know about the true living God that is described right here. And that we're going to be committed to following Him and His Son, Christ Jesus. And to follow the teachings found right here in His book, the Bible, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That we're going to stand steadfast and true upon His Word. That's what we need. And for every generation to be seeking after God. Well, we extend the invitation. God's plan to save. Every generation has to be taught it. I learned it many years ago. Obey the gospel. Great decision. Greatest decision I ever made in my life. Is to learn the truth and accept the truth. And boy, it just, it settled so many problems in my mind. I used, before I started studying the Bible, I would, there would be things I would wonder about. And I, my friends, you know, they'd be talking about uh, religious matters and I wouldn't know anything. I had no idea how to answer, you know, what was what, what was up or down, etc. But when you begin studying the Bible, it just gives enlightenment to know God's plan, to know biblical concepts, to learn these truths that we talked about tonight. I mean, it just settles things. It just, it gives fortification in your life. The plan to be saved is to hear this good news about Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection. That Jesus is the Savior and can save me. That I believe that with all my heart. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth, we've got to believe with all our heart. His death, His burial, and resurrection, His ascension on high, that He's King of Kings. To repent and turn to God. Now, that's the tough command because that's going to demand change and people don't like changing. I know because I observe people. I know when I observe life, we just sort of we kind of we kind of resist changes in life. But we have to change. It's for our good to confess Jesus before men. That's fairly easy to say. Yeah, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and then to be baptized. Yeah, another fairly easy command to obey. We've got garments. We've got a pool of water. Everything's made convenient of obeying the gospel. But we have, to, we have to obey from within. We have to accept it in our hearts and to obey from the heart this form of doctrine. Come up out of that watery grave, grow and be faithful as we studied about in, uh, in uh, the Wednesday night class about the Great Commission. We've got to be taught. And then after we obey the gospel, we're, we're going to be continually being taught. 
And if we err from the faith, come back through repentance and prayer, the second long part. Now, we're going to sing this song to encourage you. Maybe there's one here even tonight. You've been thinking about the way in the gospel? Why not tonight? It's a great time. Would you surrender all? Would you surrender your life, your heart, to Jesus Christ and His divine truth? It's not my truth. It's not Randy's truth. It's not Glenn's truth. It's not Tane's truth. It's the biblical truth. Would you just submit your heart and, and life to the truth that's found in this book, the Bible? If we can help you that in and assist you in a way, you come and let us know while together as we stand and as we sing. <clears throat>